Welcome to another episode of Paul Thon Power, Power System Design's podcast on the latest in power and power design. I'm your host, Alex Paul, and today I've got Dunstan Power. He's a director at ByteSnap. They're an electronic design shop uh, specializing in embedded systems, and we're just happen to be talking about embedded systems. Isn't that right, Dunstan? Welcome yeah, that's to right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a coincidence. <laughs> But, uh, yes, um, the thing about embedded systems is obviously it's a huge, big catch-all in a lot of ways. But in this context, I'd like to keep it to relatively small systems, portable devices, because of the pressure with the Internet of Things. And designers are really trying to cram more and more and more into smaller spaces, kind of, all kinds of demands, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's right. I mean, th- there's... The Internet of Things, obviously, is a real buzzword at the moment, and um, that that implies a number of things. So you've got people trying to cram more power into smaller spaces, but there's a real driver on low power as well. So people want things like wireless light switches, which don't have batteries in them, um, things powered by solar cells, powered by vibrations, um, by thermal energy. So lots of, lots of types of um, energy harvesting applications where there's very, very little power available. Um, and, on, and where there is power available, there's pressures on size. So, you know, uh, the unit size of uh, products is getting smaller. Or if it's not getting smaller, um, there's just more functionality being driven into the same space. So that can have implications on heat management, battery lifetime, battery management. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot, lot of, lot of uh, exciting challenges uh, when, you, when you're working in this space. Exactly. Well, I mean, in Dunstan, when you think about that whole aspect of just that one little bit of energy storage, you could use the energy harvesting to extend the lifetime of a battery. You could use cap and, uh, technology to smooth out the performance of other energy storage technologies you're using or I mean just to mix and match among energy storage is a design challenge yeah that's right I, I mean using a, a solar cell to sort of uh, back up a battery is you know it's an old really old concept I sort of think back to those sort of uh, Casio calculators I had when I was at school which had a little solar cell on but they had a battery in as well so they worked whether in a dark room or in a light room and, and, and they, the battery just went on and on and on and you never needed to change them and that concept obviously moved from very low power devices like those into things that are, are much more designing. So particularly with wireless, there's a, a real um, buzz around low power wireless technology like Bluetooth Flow Energy. And certainly this year we've seen a lot of inquiries relating to Bluetooth Flow Energy, whereas last year we didn't have any. Um, but a lot of new projects where we've got beaconing in or um, other sorts of data transfer using it. Um, so th- there's all sorts of it opens all sorts of possibilities. Uh, I'm just thinking we've got ex- uh, an example of a client, you know, where they're putting wireless um, uh, metering basically into something that's rotating very fast, so they can't get any wires into into this 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 rotating cylinder um, because uh, it. Well, obviously, it's spinning. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, the radio is spinning. So, but they're using effectively they're using energy harvesting and a radio in it to basically transmit information about the temperature of the cylinder um, out to, to the output. Well, that exactly. just possible a few years ago. Yeah. Right. Well, I was just at Electronica and um, microchip 
they had a demo where they were giving away RFID badges. Well, they weren't giving them away in, in that sense, but they had several hundred <laughs> um, RFID badges that they passed out, and they put nodes through the city, and on their screen at their booth, you could see the location of every uh, transponder, what the local temperature was, and just for the heck of it, what the light intensity was. Yeah, that's, 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 that's really cool. Um, do, do you know what frequency they were using? Um, they're using they were using the new uh, LoRa standard. Okay, okay, yeah. So Which I, I mean, think it uses some of the Bluetooth stack, and I believe it operates in about the same uh, yeah, wireless frequency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that, that that's another uh, interesting uh, application we're seeing more with, as well with low power radio is actually for locating devices. So obviously we've had GPS around for a long time and that's fantastic for locating outdoors and um, to some extent indoors but you know certainly the offices we work in where we've got metalized windows it's completely dead and um, there are plenty of applications where people want to know where they are to a very precise level within a building and um, yeah so beacon, beacon, beaconing technology is, is what's being used very effectively for that, um, either using triangulation or you know some sort of more clever clever algorithms. Right. Well, and then all of that to come back full circle puts a burden on the designer to cram all of that into that little box. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And where's the power going to come from, and how long's the battery going to last? So. This is a, you know, when we're, we're engaging with new clients and they tell us what their, their spec is, they usually, we go through this, how long, how, how big does it have to be? How long has the battery got to last? And um, <laughs> you know, quite often you sort of go, okay, that's <laughs> we've got, so we've got a bit of a problem there because they might have unrealistic expectations. And of course, different types of battery technology um, give very different lifetimes. Um, so some are good for some things and others are good for other things. Exactly, exactly. Well, then that's part of engineering, right? Uh, especially today. I would say today the ability to properly integrate subsystems is almost more of a valuable skill than the ability to design that subsystem because, I mean, obviously if you're a specialist in power supplies or you're a specialist in sensor systems, but nowadays the subsystem people are working for the subsystem companies and the ability to integrate all that stuff at the higher levels is really becoming a valuable skill. Yeah, I, I, that's true. I mean, what what we're seeing is, I think particularly with smartphones, people have, you know, our, our average customer has a smartphone and they, they pick it up and they just see the amazing amount of things that it can do. And and what we see is that they then want, that, that gets pushed into the embedded market. So, and we've seen this previously with, uh, you know, sort of 10, 15 years ago, it was Windows CE, people had, PDA organizers like the Hewlett Packard iPack, things like that, and they were saying, hey, we really like this because it's got all these different functions and it's really small and, and lightweight and the battery lasts a long time, but we'd like our embedded design, our industrial product to do the same sort of thing. And we're seeing this all over again. We're seeing people coming along and saying, you know, my phone can do X, Y, and Z. I want my industrial controller to do all those things as well. And um, that, that, you know, that presents a real challenge for us um, because obviously millions of pounds is spent designing the, the, these smartphones. And, um, you know, generally our customers don't want to spend millions of pounds. More, more is a pity, but... <laughs> <laughs> Boy, we, well, the thing, um, it's been said that 
engineering will take any advance, any technological advance, as long as it's free. But obviously, there's no such thing as free, but there's always going to be the downward pressure on price. That's right, yeah. yeah. And that's uh, an important um, thing we have to get across to clients is also the link of price to... There's two, two lots of price in any design. There's the price on the development price, so uh, you know effectively how long you, how much you're paying your engineers and compliance labs and tooling manufacturers and all the rest of it to get the product to market. And then you've got the pri- the unit price. And of course, um, if your product's high volume, your unit price is king, and you're probably going to have to spend more, or you should spend more on your development price to really drill that as low as possible. But, um, you know, certainly for a large number of our, our customers, um, and I'm sure this is true worldwide, you know, their, their unit volumes aren't massive. You know, they might be significant. They might be 5,000 or whatever. But um, in, in, in industry, you know, that those are the sort of figures you're dealing with. And um, so development costs are very important um, because they can only amortize that unit cost, development cost across a certain number of units. So... Um, there's this this nice balance that you have to get w- w- that we have to work with with our customers to say well you know if we do it this way we can get you to market faster um, your development cost will be lower but your unit price is more and if we do it this way we can give you the rock bottom unit price but it's, it'll take us longer to do it. Well, the old the old saw right, good, fast, or cheap, pick two. Sorry. No, there's there's an old saying good. Fast or cheap, you're only allowed to pick two. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's that you know, there's never going to be a an absolute perfect answer with these things. There'll be a um, it's just a fine balance. And if you get and if you gave it to ten different engineers, you'd have ten different solutions all coming out at different costs and at different development times. And but, you know, most customers, you know, most people in life, you don't get 10 shots at doing your design. You want to do it once. So um, it's, that's part of the skill, as you were saying, of the systems engineer. It's the part of the skill is really working out the best way of doing it and, and knowing from the outset where the, the best compromise is for, for, for a given customer. Well, exactly. So um, on that note, what would you say are some of the, things that you provide your customers as a value add in their design process? So I think firstly, it would just be experience. Um, you know, we've got a um, reasonable sized team. We've done hundreds of design wins uh, between us over the years of products, all sorts of different markets, industrial, automotive, things like wildlife tracking, medical devices, energy metering. So a whole host of different um, vertical market segments. And um, we've we've been around this loop lots and lots of times with lots of customers um, seeing what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, we've seen products fail. We've seen products succeed. And I think we've got um, a fairly good nose for for what works and what doesn't. And, and, you know, generally with our customers, um, we're engaging them quite early on with our suggestions. It's not just a case of we get a spec and we do the design. There's usually a much more Mm -hmm. sort of input into what we think you know, is the best way for them to do it to uh, meet their commercial objectives as well as technical. Um, and, and following on from that as well, we also have a real large bank of intellectual property that we've got of existing designs that, you know, we can 
take bits of existing designs so we're not cloning existing designs um, but you know we're taking generic portions of them that have been tested and that maybe be sold out in large volumes in the field and we're able to plug those together to get the guy to market quicker and also reduces our development cost as well and, and it reduces risk you know we're all engineers are always looking to reduce risk it's just completely in the engineering dna is just to, to yeah, right things yeah so, as much as I'd love to talk all day, which I can't, this is a show, <laughs> um, we do have to come to an end, but what I always like to do is let my guests have the last word. So it could be a little bit more about your services, or it could be just some observation on the market, or it could just be a tip for our audience, but the floor is yours. Okay. Um, well, I think the, the big change we're seeing really is we, we've been a, a, a Windows C CE focused consultancy for a number of years, but you know we've moved over to Linux, and, and what we're seeing now is Android is the new Windows CE, and that, that's going back to what we were, I was saying about people wanting their phones in their embedded device. Um, that seems to be the, the way the market's shifting into um, basically moving Android into embedded devices in, in a big way, and that's my sort of prediction for the next few years is what we're going to be seeing. I agree. I agree. So, hey, Dunstan, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. It's really nice to have someone on that can talk to, you know, the development space and give our engineers ideas and some other uh, opportunities for somebody who can give them a hand out there. So I'm really glad you decided to come Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for having me on. on. I appreciate it. Cheers, then. Our pleasure is ours. So, and I'd like to thank everybody out there in the audience for taking the time to be with us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Paul Tom Power. Have a great day.